This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 111. Welcome to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Sandy Hunt, and I'm joined this morning by my co-host. And I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. And good morning to all of our listeners. Thanks for being with us. We're very excited about today's show, and uh, and are, are glad you're joining us for these awesome conversations. We want to remind you that we will be joining you live on Sirius XM Channel 111 every Thursday from 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, but we're also replayed throughout the week and on the app. And on the app, so you can listen to it whenever you want, Mm -hmm. on demand. And if you've missed recent episodes, you can listen to those as well if you just can't get enough social impact (laughs) to start your day today. And who can get enough social impact to start the day? Not me, Cheryl. Um, So we're excited about the conversations. We remind you to listen in, to call in. You can follow us on Twitter at Wharton Social. You can um, give us an email here at Business Radio, which is businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And we're just going to jump right in with the exciting guests that we'll welcome for the first hour of today's show. Our first guest is Rob Mahalik. Rob is one of the uh, is the global director of social mission at Ben and Jerry's, and and he's here to talk about you know one of the hottest stories in today's press around um, Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods. Um, with an acquisition like this, you know we were curious what it could mean for the future and the culture at Whole Foods and its efforts to drive social change, which have been a major priority for the company. And the same thing happened to Ben and Jerry's, and mm-hmm. so they they've got a lot uh, to teach and a yes. lot for us to learn. Indeed, he's got, he hopefully will have a lot to say on the subject, and we're curious about his experience. He actually had been um, at Ben and Jerry's in 1989, and then rejoined in 2006. So, kind of a before and after the Unilever acquisition. So, eager to discuss that, and we'll follow that conversation with Rob with a conversation with Gary Nell, who's the president and CEO of the National Geographic Society, where he oversees the society's vast nonprofit activities globally. Um, so we'll explore in that sec- section how this media leader thinks about converting content into positive change. So how do they use that platform, especially something like National Geographic has been around for a while. And it's just photographs are just beautiful and stunning, right? It's, and great stories. It's a bummer this is on radio <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with, with visuals like that. So let's jump right in and welcome our first guest, Rob Mahalik. Thanks for being with us. Hello, Sandy and Cheryl. It's Hi. great to be on the show. We're delighted, delighted to have, have you. <laughs> We're Bopsy twins here. Exactly. Also, the um, the you know Ben and Jerry's gets the sort of a Beatles come to America response in the social impact space. Oh, it sure like, does. Oh, yeah. Get to interview Ben and Jerry's. It's very exciting. Um, and and I think from the business school perspective, it's even more exciting now. You know, post acquisition because it's presenting and allowing you know a case study of a much more complicated and much. You know, a very interesting business case around the acquisition. So let's just start uh, with a little bit of, of your role at Ben & Jerry's and your rich history with Ben & Jerry's. Um, tell us a little bit about your career there and uh, and your role now. Well, you know, I, uh, I started out back in 1989. I actually go way back, uh, back to 1977 when uh, Ben & Jerry were actually just establishing their business and opened up in 1978. But when they were people and not a brand, brand right? <laughs> yeah, that's a story for a different uh, show, <laughs> uh, the early days. But I joined Ben & Jerry's as the PR czar back in 1989 uh, until 1998. I left uh, having an opportunity to do some other things, which was uh, great, but uh, came back to Ben & Jerry's in 2006 and had the opportunity to become the global director of social mission, which is a, a wonderful position, and especially at this stage of my career, 
uh, to be able to be working on uh, driving social purpose through the business. And yes. yeah, and so when you you know, so you've seen a lot of a lot of the history of Ben and Jerry's. So talk to us about that early culture and what some of the um, challenges were with trying to preserve that. Well, you know, the key to all of that is at the time of the acquisition, Ben, Jerry, and uh, some of the board members, you know, leaders that were uh, with Ben and Jerry's uh, from, from the very beginning and up until the acquisition, uh, had the wisdom to create an acquisition agreement that is a legal document that essentially is the forerunner of the governance structure of a benefit corporation. Mm, mm-hmm. So what it did with Unilever, and this is a credit to Unilever as well, was to really create a very independent uh, business within Unilever's portfolio that had this governance structure of an independent board of directors that own the social mission, and they have the authority over the social mission. Uh, Unilever had authority over the economic mission, and then uh, in a way they kind of share the product mission together. Uh, The board, the Ben & Jerry's independent board, has the uh, jurisdiction over the essential brand equity, which includes product integrity and all of that. So it was this wonderful combination uh, of a governance structure and how to keep Ben & Jerry's independent and progressive. And I think the vision at the time was that Unilever was looking for, you know, this, this progressive company. And, of course, we had a super premium. Uh, we, we still do have a super premium ice cream, and that, that balanced out Unilever's uh, refreshment portfolio in the ice cream category. But, really, they were looking at Ben & Jerry's as a company that had this, this business model that had this progressive nature, driving values through the business model uh, through, throughout the entire value chain. And at the same time, uh, the vision was Ben & Jerry's could utilize the global resources that Unilever brought to the table to help grow the business globally. In the, in the early stages of the acquisition, you know, we were all trying to figure out how that was going to work well. So, you know, there were some, some days that were, you know, a little wavier than others. But then over time, uh, we all figured out how to really make this thing work. And uh, right now, it's, it's, it's doing very well. So I want to set the context for our listeners of the the evolution of Ben and Jerry's sort of social priorities and social mission. And there's sort of no one better than you <laughs> to speak to the both you know the the before and the after the evolution. Sure. You know how would you describe this that sort of core social identity of Ben and Jerry's in you know the 80s and 90s? Well, you know it it came from our co-founders Ben and Jerry Ben Co- uh, Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield and. Uh, what they wanted to do was to really establish a different business model. So they had this idea of social innovation being in harmony with economic purpose and, and, and the product of the company. And so uh, at our 10th birthday in 1988, at that time we were a publicly traded company on NASDAQ, and we had a board of directors, uh, all very uh, progressive and uh, you know, sage in terms of how business could be something new. And in that first mission statement in 1988, the preamble actually talks about being dedicated to a sustainable corporate concept of linked prosperity. You know, we've heard that term, you know, in more recent times, uh, shared value, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, shared equity. But this is 1988, and we were already thinking about this concept of linked prosperity. How could that work through the entire business model? And then we wrote out the, the social mission, the economic mission, and product mission, 
where they stand side by side in balance and in harmony. And so the work to be done was uh, to figure out how was that going to, you know, operate. Uh, we, ha- we hadn't seen a company really putting social purpose right into the uh, business manifest. So that, uh, in the early days, uh, a lot of it was led by Ben uh, and Jerry and uh, some of the leadership at the time. So it was a little bit more limited in terms of who was really providing the direction and guidance on what the initiatives might be in the business. But some of those early uh, initiatives were very novel, uh, thinking about getting social enterprise as, as part of uh, you know, our business supply chain. And, and, and in one example, uh, we did business and still do business with the Grayston Bakery yeah. in Yonkers, New York. And, and we're Grace, very familiar with them, yes. You, you, good, yes. But, well, let's, but let's tell our listeners the story in case they aren't familiar or haven't heard us gush about them before. Cheryl, do you want to give a little high-level overview of Grayston? Yeah, I mean, and Grayston is, is actually, um, they, they have a great uh, tagline, which is basically, you, you know, we don't we don't create jobs to make brownies. We don't, we don't. I forgot we the tagline. We don't make yeah. brownies. Wait, we don't hire people to make brownies. brownies. We make brownies to hire people. That's it. Okay, so that's good. Thank you, Sandy. <laughs> um, but basically, really, they're a social enterprise, and Ben and Jerry's has been really influential in in, in strengthening them, giving them stability, and all of their brownies going to to Ben and Jerry's ice cream, which has been great. Yeah, and and the and the thing is, is that uh, you know they have this open hiring system, which is where they. They don't really care who you were. They just care who you are as you show up and go through the training and get in the queue for jobs. And, you know, over time, that relationship with Grayston uh, between, you know, Ben and Jerry's and getting the brownies for like chocolate fudge brownie and half-baked, it's actually created about 3,000 unique jobs where, you know, people come in and they rotate through. So that's provided 3,000 jobs for people who had barriers to employment. Mm-hmm. It's also that, that added up to about $65 million worth of payroll. So you think about this. I mean, this, this model is really extraordinary because, you know, you're taking people potentially off the welfare roll and you're putting them on the payroll and you're creating that dignity and power of, uh, you know, employable skills. Yeah, and, and evidence on their resume so that yeah. they could grow their yeah. careers and say, you know, someone gave me a chance so that I can, I can start here. Yeah, so Rob, so, so, so here's where we're thinking about Ben and Jerry's, right? And I, I don't know that there's anyone who hasn't had Ben and Jerry's ice cream, and it's wonderful. We were really so, hoping that you'd be in <laughs> studio with us with well, samples. We're going to go out and get some later on. But so you've got, you've got a great product. You've got a great brand. You've got this sort of commitment to social innovation and also product innovation. We've, we visited your, your um, plant in Vermont and saw the graveyard, right, you know, where you've, you, ta- you bury the ice cream taste that you tried, but they didn't catch on. So there's this real sense of innovation and mission going on. I can see why Unilever kind of wanted to buy that. But do you think how much from the the decision-making part of Unilever was how much of this is this is damn good ice cream and we're going to buy the ice cream? And how much did they say, and that social stuff and the innovation stuff, that's that just comes along with it. Were they really interested in that part? I believe they were, and and there's evidence to that. Unilever, if people were able to, you know, dig into the history of Unilever, there there was a real sense of social purpose at the beginning of, uh, you know, Lever Brothers, and then you know it was an Anglo-Dutch. Uh, there was a business that was started in the United Kingdom, and there was another business uh, started in the Netherlands, and the two of them came together. But when you look at the history of both, there was a, a sense of social purpose. It it may not have 
appear to be as progressive as some of the models today, but it certainly had that. And and now when you look at Unilever, the leadership that Unilever has in terms of uh, its own Unilever Sustainable Living Plan, uh, it has, um, bar none, some of the highest ambitions of any multinational uh, company in the world to deliver on sustainability. So I think, you know, from from the history and from the leadership that Unilever has now, there was a real, um, you know, uh, simpatico in terms of having a, a progressive business, and you know, and Ben and Jerry's could bring that into into the fold. And I think just one last comment on pre-acquisition and post-acquisition. You know, pre-acquisition, I think Ben and Jerry's might have been a little bit riskier in terms of the social innovation uh, we might have, uh, you know, engaged in. Um, you know, and, and in some cases, it might have been a little bit more novel in, in terms of what we were trying to do. I think what's happened afterwards, though, is that uh, Unilever brought a little bit of discipline to the work that we were doing, and I think we've actually in a way, it's helped us to do more across the entire value chain of Ben & Jerry's than we were doing pre-acquisition. So to my evaluation, being here both before and after the acquisition, I actually think we're doing more now in social mission than we ever have because we are really utilizing those resources of Unilever, like the supply chain resources, and applying some of our initiatives through those resources, creating a broader scope of change. I just want to remind our listeners that we are speaking with Rob Mahalik, who is the Global Director of Social Mission at Ben & Jerry's, um, continuing this exciting conversation. You know, we've, we're talking about what is core to Ben & Jerry's, ice cream pun, <laughs> fudge <laughs> is core to Ben & Jerry's. Um, we're talking about those, you know, those social values that are core and how, you know, how they were able to bring those to Unilever, you know, potentially uh, helping to shape Unilever sustainability goals and things like this. And I want to, you know, get your thoughts, Rob, about how that is most effectively done. You outlined an acquisition agreement that sounded beautiful in theory. Let's talk a little bit about the practice. So when the rubber meets the road and, you know, and the, you know, uh, the revenues versus the social mission or the direction of the social mission or how political do we get, when those very real questions come up, how are they handled? Uh, you know, I think they're handled very well. Uh, as I said, early early on in the acquisition, we were trying to figure it out. But uh, once once we we um, did that, uh, we have a real good uh, sense of, of ways of working between Ben and Jerry's leadership and the Ben and Jerry's board of directors, Unilever's leadership, and how we uh, bring some of our initiatives forward. And Unilever has been incredibly supportive and respectful of Ben & Jerry's social mission because there will be times when some of the, uh, say, public advocacy stands that we've taken mm -hmm. uh, might be at, you know, cross purposes to sure. something that Unilever might be doing. But Unilever has honored uh, the, you know, not only the, the letter of the acquisition agreement, but the spirit of the acquisition agreement where Ben & Jerry's has been able to maintain its independent voice. But, you know, we, we all talk. We want to make sure everybody's well-informed, uh, you know, in, in terms of what steps we might be taking. Um, but I think, again, I think it's, it's worked out really well and in practice as, as well as theory. Well, you know, and it's an, it's an interesting situation because I think, um, you know, we work with a lot of students who are starting social enterprises. We've interviewed a lot of the social entrepreneurs. And I think for many of them, there is this sort of temptation. It's sort of, on one hand, 
being it would be great to become so much of a brand and so valuable mm-hmm. that that some other brand would buy you mm-hmm. that would be great and yet you worry mm-hmm. about losing your core there so you know plum right yep. and now with whole foods so the acquisition agreement seems to be one way in which you can try to preserve some of that if you're a you know an entrepreneur who started a social enterprise and some big company comes to you and says i'd like to buy you how, what would you advise them to do? How do they how do they sort of weigh the options? Well, I think the uh, the template is in whatever agreements you might be able to promulgate, you know, legally, um, and and make sure that you set up, you know, the kind of governance structure that you're looking forward to as as you you take the company forward. Uh, you know, and it's it's the partnership too. I think if uh, you know people need to evaluate uh, what that partnership might be like, um, you know, and hopefully you can create the kind of relationships where the, you know, the smaller progressive entity can maintain that uh, sense of mission and values and purpose. I think it only benefits the larger organization because it'll bring, you know, uh, credibility and I think in in some cases maybe even uh, more uh, customers and, and customer loyalty in the end. Uh, so I think uh, both parties need to be wise to not uh, mortgage any of the, the value that's in the smaller progressive company. And, you know, we're seeing uh, the movement of benefit corporations and you know, B Corps, we like to say, uh, where more and more companies are actually becoming certified B Corps right. uh, to, you know, actually achieve the criteria of what it really means to be. Uh, a company with social purpose or you know values driven business models and and I, I you can see that the business community is really taking notice with that because those companies are uh, seemingly you know healthier as they as they move forward uh, maintaining customer loyalty and uh, you know moving through different dips in the economy or you know recessions showing good strength yeah, and I think Penn and Jerry's was a great example about that. I I lived in Vermont for a while, and so we you know we would get the the truckloads of of Ben and Jerry's to our corner store, and you know we we you know they they really were part of the community. And I think that one of the things that Unilever did right was let Ben and Jerry's continue to be the brand that it was, because I think that it maintained a lot of that loyalty and had this kind of halo effect for Unilever then. You sort of trusted them a little bit more as a company mm-hmm. because they agreed to do this. Yep, I think that that's very right. You pick up the pint of Ben & Jerry's and you don't have a skeptical sort of, you know, am I still you know paying for this premium ice cream right, and right. it's not doing the social mission that, that it once did. I think a lot of consumers are going to be looking to see what is said by Whole Foods and about Whole Foods and by Amazon as this you know acquisition progresses. Um, and certainly more now than ever, more much more now than 2000. There's that like transparency demand and, mm-hmm. um, you know, clamoring for information and social media. And Whole Foods not only comes as its own social impact brand, but much like Ben and Jerry's brought Grayston, you know, with it. Ben and or Whole Foods stocks its shelves with B Corps, yep. you know, and yep. with a lot of socially conscious businesses. You know, Rob, what should consumers be looking for to see how the impact persists? Um, and what do you think is going to sort of be what are the important aspects for them to consider from a, a communications and PR angle? Well, you know, I, I, I think uh, Whole Foods has been a leader in terms of the way it's engaged with, uh, you know, its customers and its communities. And I think people just need to to 
to keep an eye on whether or not uh, Whole Foods will maintain that same profile as they move forward. I, I certainly hope they do. Uh, they, they've uh, helped to initiate a lot of change with uh, companies who are distributing their products through Whole Foods, you know, by establishing, you know, really important criteria to be on those shelves. Mm-hmm. So I think I think people can just, you know, kind of watch and monitor that as they as they go forward. And I think it'll become clearly evident uh, whether or not Whole Foods is staying to its, you know, mission and values system uh, or not. I, th- I think that'll just, you know, pan out over time. And and do you think this will become more and more common that you have some of these larger companies that, you know, may not have a, a, a reputation or a brand around social mission, not that they're they're terrible companies, but it's just not what they're known for, that are, are going ahead and, and really buying some of these companies that have put a stake in the ground on organic or on the way they treat their their um, employees and the status of the B Corps and, and all yeah. of that. Do you think there's going to be more of these kinds of opportunities coming up? Is this a trend that we're, we're seeing the beginning of? Well, we're seeing more examples of it. I don't know if I've got uh, enough wherewithal to really forecast into the future, but certainly, um, you know, the larger companies are seeing great value in companies with purpose. And uh, I think that the trick for them is to not, you know, change what, you know, what their acquisitions are all about to really maintain uh, that, that mission uh, because I think that's what brings the value, and uh, that that that'll only help everybody's bottom line in the end. Yeah. That'd be an interesting case case studies. You know, sort of look at the ones that were bought out, and then check five years later to see what they're like. Yeah, well, the portfolio is growing. Yeah, yeah I know. We're, we're, we've got we've got that data. Um, Rob, as we wrap up our segment here, um, I want to know what's next for Ben and Jerry's. You know, what's the next uh, evolution of their amazing social impact work, or their next flavor? The, deep, uh, the next flavor, <laughs> one of the two. You know, we're internally, we're always raising the bar on ourselves. So all of our programs, you know, we've been working on uh, sustainability programs in our, in our dairy supply chain, which, of course, is the single largest volume ingredient that we uh, mm-hmm. purchase, and, and looking at the entire ecosystem. So looking at the, you know, farmer uh, viability, the a dignified uh, uh, life for the farm workers, which is, you know, another issue that's, that's growing. But also animal welfare, soil health is a huge issue, yeah. water quality, and uh, carbon reduction. You know, we're looking at our carbon footprint throughout our value chain, and uh, we put an internal carbon fee, uh, you know, on our uh, life cycle of our product, and we know where the carbon is, and we're reinvesting in carbon reduction. And also in a, the other supply chains where we actually get fair trade certified uh, ingredients like sugar, cocoa, banana, coffee, vanilla, we're looking at that model. And we're working with Fairtrade International to see what we can do to have stronger producer development initiatives that really delivers on the ambition of what Fairtrade's all about. So for us, it's constantly, you know, improving on our own model. And, you know, as soon as we set the bar, you know, for the year ahead, when we get there, we try to raise the bar again. And, and that's what we're looking at uh, in terms of uh, the future. And what's great about this is sort of you know, everyone thinks it's it's a simple product. It's ice cream, it's milk, and some flavoring and something mm-hmm. else. And then you realize, as I think we all start to do when we think about the social impact of our work, how complex everything is. I mean, 
you know, the cows and their pollutants and the farmers and how you make, you know, keep small farmers. Refrigerated trucks. Yeah, and exactly. that, You know, like these are, yeah, these yeah. are big, big, big questions to uh, to be answered. But as always, we remain impressed with how Ben and Jerry's asks the hard questions and, you know, commits to answering them and, and doing the best work they can. It makes great flavors. It makes great. Now we need to go get ice cream. <laughs> I think we can decide our next, our, uh, our, our meeting following this will be some breakfast ice cream for sure. Um, Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, listeners, stay tuned to our show Twitter and um, and our uh, Wharton Social uh, office Twitter to, you know, see some of the uh, great quotes from today's interview. And we'll retweet all the exciting things that Ben and Jerry's is up to. You are listening to Dollars and Change on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.